Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 208 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 13th, 2012, the day before Valentine's Day, so make sure you get your sweetie something nice. And we've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk some USC football and USC recruiting with Gerard Martinez later on the show. He's going to break down Junior Day and all the offers that went out. And we'll have Dan Weber coming up first. We have uh, Harvey Hyde. Taking the week off, he's on secret assignment, so we'll get him back mm. next week. But we do have Dan Weber, and if you have any questions, there's a bunch of questions sent in this week, you can do it a couple of different ways. One, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, or you can give us a call, 206-888-6755 is the number, or you can even go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page where it says leave a voice message, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer but let's let's get going here with uh instead of coach harvey hyde like i said we have dan weber joining us batting lead off what's up dan how you doing hey pretty good another uh another big week uh lots of news uh amazing how much news happens i i, I keep saying it i write it usc football generates so much news it's stunning uh, uh just you can't miss a day yeah, there's news. It just never ends. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's okay, though. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff for us to cover. We're going to oh, it's great. get to all the questions and new coaching hires. I just want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287. Leave them a voicemail or talk to Curtis over there. He's our buddy. And if you need tickets for anything, you want to see the Red Hot Clippers, you can go check them out at Staples Center now that the Grammy Road trips are over for both the Lakers and the Clippers. And, uh, Dan, I wanted to kind of jump right into some of these uh, questions. I guess before we get started, there was some big news. Uh, USA hired a couple of assistant coaches. Want to maybe get your thoughts on those? Well, you know what? It's interesting. I think we should have figured out that Lane probably couldn't get through uh, uh, junior day without – maybe uh, uh, tipping his hand uh, there. Now, the more you look back on it, you say, that makes a lot of sense that, you know, you get these kids in here and uh, some of these, you know, kids you really are interested in. And what better thing to tell them than, uh, you know, here's two of the new coaches that, you know, you might be playing for. So uh, when you look back at it, it made a lot of sense. But what I don't think people realize is – Virtually, I'm guessing within seconds of Lane having told those kids, the whole world knew. That's amazing the the way uh, social media has changed uh, how things uh, uh, get out to people now. Just unbelievable the speed that that those got out yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think it was first posted on the Peristyle. Yeah, uh, a couple of different posters posted. Uh, uh, Scotty Hazelton from uh, North Dakota State University, the defensive coordinator there, is coming in to coach linebackers. And uh, Marvin Sanders, uh, who was at Nebraska a year ago, left there for personal reasons, and then it recently took the job at Florida Atlantic for 
uh, Carl Polini, who's Bo Polini's brother, uh, right. but wasn't there but a month. And uh, the story I was told, Dan, and uh, we, you know, we were able to confirm it, I think, before just about anybody on the internet there. Um, so we got, the, I think, we got the story up first before other people. But our sources from uh, the Nebraska rival site had connections to both coaches, so it was nice they were able to help us confirm stuff. But he said that Sanders was actually at a going away party in Lincoln, Nebraska, a couple of days ago. And everyone thought he was going to Florida, you know, Florida. Right. <laughs> but, but he ended up pulling out like a signing day hat, like a USC hat, pulls out the hat and says, no, I'm going to USC. So like you said, it was uh, told to all the juniors at junior day. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez about that a little bit later. And, you know, we, it was, you know, some Twitter, some tweets came out. We, uh, we got a couple of posters, had it on the peristyle, which was great. And then we were able to confirm the stuff. So we were all over the story right from the beginning. Yeah, I, and I think it was, you know, what a good job I thought Lane did with, uh, you know, with the hires. Now, I know he had enough time to, uh, you know, on the defensive backs, uh, knowing that all year long that he was going to be doing something there. And uh, it was, I found it interesting. I remember a year ago we had a conversation about uh, Washington was had played um, Nebraska and uh, – it was so interesting how well Lane knew all about the Nebraska secondary. And I thought, wow, you know, he really knows the names and their 40 times and all that. And I thought, he really knows this, you know, the, the Nebraska secondary and how they played uh, Washington and all that. And, and, you know, you've got the, the connections between uh, Lane and Steve Sarkeesian and obviously uh, Monty and uh, with the uh, Polinis and, and all that kind of thing. But uh, Lane was really plugged in a year ago to the Nebraska secondary. So now that you think about it, you think, you know what, it doesn't make uh, – it makes a lot of sense uh, uh, with the way uh, the Nebraska secondary has, has produced, you know, NFL draft picks and all the things and, and uh, how much more athletic. I mean, I think the point Lane made last year was we aren't athletic enough. We aren't – you know, we don't have the – uh, you know, the speed in that to do what Nebraska does. Well, it looks like they've made some uh, some clear changes in that. And I think what's interesting in terms of the recruiting, and when we go out to, you know, watch them at, uh, in the throwing sessions, is you realize how much taller, how much bigger uh, the cornerbacks are that they're recruiting. And that was interesting because Nebraska didn't have real big cornerbacks, but they're getting, you know, big, fast, uh, cornerbacks that, uh, you know, the likes of which we haven't seen before. So that's going to be kind of interesting how that all works out with, you know, with Coach Sanders. But uh, it sure looks like they, you know, found, I think a case could be made that, you know, there nobody does a better job in, you know, in college football than, than, than Marvin Sanders. And then, and then Scotty Hazleton is kind of a, you know, if you had to say who's the best young on the move, you know, fast-tracking guy in, in, in college football might be Scotty Hazleton. I, I was lucky enough, two of the, two of the uh, weekends that uh, before the bowl games got going, they have the, you know, the uh, football championship series, uh, used to be the 1AA teams, are playing. And I, I got to see two pretty much complete games that North Dakota State played and, and was just kind of blown away by how good they were and, and just the fact that, they were doing things to teams like Georgia Southern, really athletic teams, the Sam Houston State that they played in the championship and played them in Texas, and just throttling them. I mean, just doing things that uh, 
you know, I mean, we you hadn't been that familiar with North Dakota State except for the fact that, you know, Willie Mac Garza had been there for a year. But other than that, it was like, who are these guys and how are they doing this? And uh, they were – they were extremely impressive. I mean, they uh, somebody pointed out on our bo- on the pay- on the P, they did a better job against Georgia Southern's offense than Alabama's defense did. North Dakota State did. They held Georgia Southern, you know, to fewer yards and, and fewer points than uh, than Alabama did. So USC, I mean, may have really, you know, what is they, you know, stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum. I mean, I think uh, you know Lane might have hit a home run because there's a little bit of worry. Joe Barry did such a great job coaching the linebackers and understanding all of the, you know, things that you got to understand, you know, to coach with Monty and had the nine years with Monty and that, but, uh, you know, Scotty Hazleton has got, you know, uh, a real history with the Tampa two and understanding, uh, you know, what you can do with it. And he certainly had an impact and, you know, in college football in a year or two, and the fact that, you know, some people say, but, you know, look where he coached or look where he played at Fort Lewis in Colorado. I don't think that matters. I mean, I, a guy like Bob Devaney, you know, came from uh, Alma College, I think, somewhere like that, or one of those very little schools. You know, I mean, there are a lot of great coaches that have come from a lot of an awfully, you know, small schools. And, and I think USC had a good day yesterday from everything that I can tell. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, we got one question on the coaches that were at least uh, or a couple questions that tied to that. Ron wanted to know, what's the status of Sammy Knight? He said, now that they've hired a secondary coach, why do you think he wasn't considered for that position? Well, I, th- I know the first time that we talked about it, uh, I think there was some worry. Sammy was a basically a, a big safety linebacker sort of a guy played both positions at USC kind of the strong safety guy in the NFL and um, and I know there was some consideration of uh, well what do we do to turn you know if, uh, in terms of coaching the corners and that that you know that maybe Monty is is kind of comfortable with the safeties but that you know the corners are kind of on an island and it's a more of a one-of-a-kind position. And so <clears throat> I always thought, now obviously I thought the cornerback improved, the cornerback situation improved remarkably, you know, this year. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily, uh, the, you know, the perfect matchup for Sammy. Now we understood that uh, uh, because he had stepped into a new role uh, replacing Willie Mac Garza, he wasn't exactly using up the second year of his year limited to two years by the NCAA rules uh, uh, of a graduate assistantship and that there was the potential for uh, this year to not count against his graduate assistantship, uh, but to count, uh, you know, as a regular coaching year and then he could go back to that. But, you know, one would think that Sammy would have some certainly other offers. He was an impressive coach and, and, I thought he, you know, really did a good job with the players, and and they really bonded with him. Um, and um, I thought, you know, he'll, you know, if it's not USC, he'll get a job. You would think he'll get a job somewhere. I mean, I, I'll be honest. If I were another program in the Pac-12, I would be looking very, uh, I'd be looking very closely at, at Sammy Knight. But uh, but he kind of, uh, for example. Uh, 
Pat Hayden, when the when USC's AD, you know, was allowed to recruit, the recruiting slot that he was taking, because you can't just add another guy. You got to basically you're limited to a, you know that the number that you're limited to. He was using Sammy Knight's uh, slot, and I know uh, we haven't had much luck locating him in terms of you know phones and or seeing him around. When you talk to the players, they're not sure you know, what his status is. So you, you wouldn't, we don't want to comment and say, absolutely, this is the case. We just don't know. And, and we haven't really found somebody at USC to tell us exactly what his, his status is that, uh, to this point anyway. All right. Uh, and then one other question on the assistant coaches. Uh, Melvin wants to know, why do so many assistants transfer from one assistant job to another? I can see a transfer that eventually leads to a head coaching position, but otherwise is it merely about money? Uh, why do guys you know, switch around jobs so much? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it's money. I mean, I think that's how you are able to hire somebody, uh, you know, who's doing a good job at one place is you can offer them a little more money and, and, and possibly a little more opportunity. Uh, uh, you know, certainly you could not have done a better job than, uh, Scotty Hazelton did, for example, at uh, North Dakota State. But, you know, now he's moving up to, you know, a team with a chance to win the, you know, people think has a chance to win the national championship, and it's USC. And you're you're in Fargo, North Dakota, and you've got, you know, Fargo, you know, L.A. And, and I you know, and certainly going to be, you know, for more money. So uh, uh, with the number of changes in coaching staff, basically – in, in most of those cases, you're changing almost all the assistant coaches too. So that's a lot of movement, you know, like in the Pac-12 with four new coaches. That could be, you know, 40, easily 40 new assistant coaching jobs uh, that are going to change. And uh, so there's just a whole lot of, you know, shuffle, shuffling around. And, you know, people, new coach, everybody's excited uh, uh, possibly everybody gets a bump, you know, in salary and all that kind of thing. So it's just the, the way of the world in, in coaching uh, that, uh, you know, people know people. And in order to get a guy, you, uh, you know, you have to offer him uh, more money. And, you know, that was always an issue uh, in L.A. Uh, because for a good while, I don't think, you know, the, the UCLA and USC probably paid enough to the assistant coaches when uh, when uh, you know the world changed and it became so much more expensive to live in LA and you know find a house in a, in a school district and all that that it really became a negative for uh, a number of years in terms of bringing guys in and, and there might not have been the same kind of uh, opportunities to to bring people in but but I think with you know the more money that is uh, you know that there is in college football and the bigger TV contracts and all that kind of thing. Uh, people are able to offer, uh, you know, coaches enough money to even come from the NFL to, to you know, to college football. But uh, I think it's the way, um, you know, the way of the world right now. There, there are more changes at the top, which require more, you know, just constant shuffling around. And I think the NFL is probably being more active in, uh, in recruiting college coaches uh, for the, you know, similar positions where, uh, you might not have seen that as much in the past. So uh, there's, you're right. There's a whole lot of shuffling going on. There is a lot. And, you know, some of it's you're moving up. If you go from a smaller program to a bigger program or you go from a linebacker coach to defensive coordinator, it's just really kind of moving up the ladder. 
sometimes you see these parallel ones, but you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of that. Well, it's interesting. I think that, like in uh, with Marvin Sanders, he actually was all, you know was going to be the defensive coordinator at Florida International. Now they're probably you know a little struggling. You know, struggling as a new school and new program, even though you know they're in the you know the bowl. Uh, you know, they're one of the 121 or so right now, I guess. But uh, uh, but he's coming to USC for not a coordinator's position, but he's coming to USC. So. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, different ways that you can, you know, look at those things. But uh, but I think it's interesting that both of the coaches that USC is getting for position coaches, both were coordinators uh, uh, or are coordinators, you know, uh, with Hazleton, he is. And, um, and uh, Sanders was a coordinator at North Carolina and uh, then had been offered, the, you know, at the uh, at Florida, you know, um, why am I going to say Florida International? So he's had, you know, two coordinator jobs. So, uh, Did I say a, Florida Atlantic earlier? Florida Atlantic, or what am I saying? Florida International. Uh, whichever one of those it is. Uh, it's the Howard, I guess it's the one that Howard Schnellenberger uh, program that Howard started. Uh, down there, and actually a bigger school than anybody realizes. Yeah, I think you know, I said I, Flo- I might have. Said, it's Florida Atlantic. I don't know if I said Florida International or not, but it is Florida Atlantic. Where it's he's, Florida Atlantic. Okay. So I apologize think, if we said the wrong one earlier, but it's Florida Atlantic. And I think that's a. It's a bigger school than people realize. And you know, with the, I think they just built a new stadium, and that, and they're really trying. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, I think it's pretty uh, a pretty good situation where you get uh, your two position coaches have all already been coordinators. And, and as somebody pointed out on the P and your fourth uh, defensive coach is, uh, it, it was a head coach uh, in Ed Orgeron and, and he has the title of defensive coordinator. So uh, it's, uh, you know, I think, you know, probably you can feel pretty comfortable about uh, for those of us who maybe, you know, we're uh, a little bit, Maybe thinking, you know, this this isn't automatically, uh, uh, you know, when you're having to hire a couple of guys, uh, doesn't automatically go your way, uh, at least in year one. I think uh, it right now looks pretty darn good. It looks like, you know, you're you've got a pretty good chance to to really make this work and uh, maybe not have a great deal of learning curve and not. Uh, and not lose much ground. And that's what everybody I think thinks about is how well the defense is playing by the end of the year. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to slip back at all. And, uh, so, uh, the thought is these two guys might really be able to step in and, um, and, and, and keep them from losing any of the, you know, the traction that they had going at the end of the year. Uh, here's one last one on the coaches. Joe wants to know, he said, the, uh, the Bengals just announced the signing of, Mark Carrier as their DB coach. Any idea if the Trojans tried making a move on him? I don't. We don't know. We thought that there was, you know, he was in the mix to some extent, and, and that he will always be in the mix to some extent. I'm kind of surprised that he took the defensive. The uh, you know he had been coaching the defensive line, which seems like a, a kind of a reach. Uh, so you know, defensive backs are, were, you know, are much more his, uh, uh, you know, area of expertise. Although I thought people were kind of thinking that his next job, that he, w- the next job he would, Mark would take would be as a coordinator, uh, kind of a job. So, uh, but he looks like he's just straight going to the, you know, defensive backs at the Bengals. So, uh, uh, 
and we don't I don't think we really know how the connection is between USC and, and Mark Carrier. I think some of the things is uh, there's a group of players that came, you know, that were out of USC before the, uh, say the Pete Carroll era and, uh, what the connections, you know, you can kind of understand what the connections are, say for the players that were at USC in the last, uh, you know, 11, 12 years, but what the, what the connections for the guys in the, you know, that came out before that, uh, it's not always, you know, where we, perfectly understand how the personal relationships are and who knows who and who, you know, feels comfortable with who and all of that. And, and, and it's so much of the, of uh, hiring assistant coaches is that real comfort level that you have, uh, in, in, you know, in terms of working with, with someone. And uh, those are things that sometimes you can't, you can't really know from the outside. It's the, uh, it's such a personal thing. It's a family thing almost. And in, in the USC's case now with, uh, with Lane and Monty Kiffin, it, it really is a family thing. And, uh, so, uh, a lot of times you're, you're kind of guessing when you're in our position on the outside as to where the connections are that maybe make the breakthrough in terms of approaching somebody. So, you know, I don't know that we had a real good feel of where USC was with Mark Carrier. I think our thoughts were, Mark Carrier was looking at uh, a coordinator's spot and um, not necessarily a perfect fit for that job. All right, let's uh, let's go to some team questions now. Casey wants to know, what is the status on Josh Shaw's hardship waiver? Has it been submitted? What is the usual time frame to hear back from the NCAA? His chances may not be good at being able to play in 2012, but have any football players in the past been granted a hardship waiver to prevent sitting out a season. Uh, yes. Uh, not, uh, can, can I think of one at USC? No. Uh, uh, as someone said, the time frame, well, let's see, what time are they scheduled to take off for the first game? Uh, maybe like a uh, half hour after, uh, you know, uh, we use the big Mike Williams, uh, uh, time frame as the, uh, which took months and months and months as the NCAA dragged it out. Now, uh, don't be fooled and say, wow, they uh, cleared uh, Cam Newton and the Ohio State guys in a day. Uh, wow, couldn't they? Well, no, that's that's not the same uh, situation, unfortunately. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know what the, you know, what the situation is. Let's just say this. We hope that Josh Shaw hears before Amir Carlisle hears whether his quote-unquote hardship waiver to play next year at Notre Dame goes through that'll be an interesting combo of hardship waivers now we only understand that notre dame is considering filing a hardship waiver uh for amir carlisle we still don't understand you know these are people that are reporting from the chicago tribune and places like that no one has yet said what exactly the hardship is that amir would be filing for but um we understand that that there are two going. <clears throat> One would not want to be on the P if those two would happen to come down on the same day and one is allowed to play and one isn't allowed to play. And you can guess which way, which, which way we think, uh, you know, <laughs> if you base your decision on the NCAA's history with USC and Notre Dame, one would not like to guess which way those two might go. But, uh, but we don't know. The NCAA 
has no time frame. They can do it whenever that uh, uh, that committee uh, meets. And like everything else at the NCA, they can pretty much do whatever they want. And uh, there's not much you can do about it. They'll they'll decide, and you just have to live with it. Um, okay, let's see. We have a voicemail question about some of the players that uh, most of the Trojan fans out there have not seen yet. Here you go. Yeah, hi, Ryan. Hope you're having a wonderful day. This is Gil up in Cyprus. I uh, just wanted to get uh, your thoughts on four players that um, I think are very talented and wanted to know if you feel like they might make some significant contributions this upcoming year. The four names that I have in mind are Nathan Gertzer, offensive lineman, Giovanni DiPaolo, also offensive lineman, and two tight ends. Christian Thomas and Junior Tommy. Just they seem so talented. I just wanted to get your uh, thoughts or any of the coaches' thoughts. Thank you, but bye bye. Uh, Gil, uh, you kind of looking at the uh, except for Nathan, I guess that's kind of the the guys in the uh, in or out of the rehab class. Uh, uh, basically, I think Nathan. We saw him one day. We don't know. I mean, we, he knows, we know, and everybody else talks about that uh, if he can, you know, get his weight up to, to 295 or so, he really does have a lot going for him. He's just a natural, got a big frame, uh, uh, a great-looking stance, uh, pretty tough kid. Uh, they felt comfortable enough to have him as the, you know, the lone backup, uh, certainly for practice, you know, so during practice on days that Matt Khalil, for example, couldn't be there at left, left tackle or they wanted to rest him, they didn't have a problem in uh, running Nathan at that spot. Now, whether that would have been the case, if they had to go into a game without uh, <clears throat> without Matt, you know, we won't know because he hardly ever, you know, hardly missed the play. But, uh, you know, Nathan looks like he can play. And, uh if he gets up to, you know, 295 over this winter and really gets that weight, you know, and it's probably not as easy sometimes, you know, for guys with, with the kind of frame he's got. But uh, but he's been, you know, everything you'd ever want in a walk-on, and uh, you wish you had enough scholarships, uh, you know, for kids like that. As far as Junior Palme, he, uh, uh, he kind of looks like a natural. He looks like he's 100% healthy uh, after that, you know, foot fracture. I noticed the other day, and he, I think he's 6'3", 250. He just runs naturally and easily, and he's got a quickness about him that's a little surprising. But he catches the football. He catches it like a baseball player. I mean, he's just really got naturally soft hands, and, and, and it's just a natural uh, – it's not like it's something he has to work at. Uh, whether he's, uh, you know, an H-back, uh, whether he can – handle the, you know, the blocking or the uh, lining up in the backfield and all that, I think he has to figure in somewhere. Now, the issue is you've already got, you know, two guys who are redshirt freshmen, Xavier Grimble and, 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 and Randall Telfair, who could not have played any better last year, couldn't have done anything, you know, uh, you know, better than they did. And they're out there every day and throwing sessions, and they just look as good as you can look, and they're pushing one another. And then, as you mentioned, um, you know, your last guy, Christian Thomas. And we haven't seen Christian. Now, he had that, uh, that, hip, that hip cartilage surgery where they, they kind of uh, have to scrape the inside of the hip cartilage where it gets all ragged and, uh, and, uh, and, and sharp edge. And, uh, and they did it. I think three different players got it last year. 
And um, I think Devon Kennard had the most serious one and uh, didn't come back for spring. Um, and the, normally they don't come back for spring if they had it, you know, if it was something that happened in the fall. However, Christian probably got his uh, surgery way earlier than normal. They made the decision in September uh, that it was bothering him too much and that they really needed to, uh, after a couple of games, they needed to, to, to get something done. So he might have a shot, but we don't know for sure. And a lot of that is just uh, uh, you come back and you try it. Uh, how do you tolerate the pain? And if there is any pain or no pain at all, uh, and then what kind of movement do you have with it and all of that. Uh, Christian is so athletic, probably going to be on the small side for a tight end. That one would guess he's not going to get a whole lot bigger than the 230. He's got such a burst, though. He's got such a quick first couple of steps. You know, you could see him playing as a rush edge, you know, uh, edge defensive rush end. You could see him as an outside linebacker. You could see him, as Lane talked about him last year, if they didn't have any fullbacks come through, that you could see him as a, you know, the fullback, H-back. He can, you know, I just think we're going to have to wait and see how, uh, how his rehab goes and uh, how other positions go. But, but, you know, I think also he's obviously going to be, I think, an important player on uh, special teams. I think he can cover a lot of ground and he's very aggressive and uh, he'll hit you. Um, I mean, Christian Thomas is going to do something. I don't think it, the case, you know, right now we don't know what that is, but he's, he's going to be, uh, he'll be a factor. And uh, there's an awful lot you can do with Christian Thomas. Uh, I know people want to make a decision on him right now. I just think you don't need to make a decision on him right now. Uh, but he will—he'll uh, be—he'll be a good player at USC. There's, I don't think there's any question about that. Okay, we had one other voicemail question. It was kind of long. It was Amir and Sherbert Oaks, but he actually asked about Thomas and Pame as well. But he ended it by asking about USC's got a lot of skill guys on the outside. Do you think they would try to incorporate uh, any parts of the spread offense as opposed to using like the pro style? Well, I think there will be ways in which people might think you're looking at a spread. I mean, you talk to some of the kids and they say, you know, we can line up with two tight ends and with Robert and uh, Marquise uh, both split really wide. And in effect, we're kind of four wide, even with two tight ends. So I think you might see, uh, you know, the pros, basically, you know, what's a pro offense that, is sort of morphing into uh, a little bit of, of, of the spread. And, and I don't think that's that unusual. I mean, if you look at what some of the really good teams in the NFL are doing, you know, that's what they're doing. And you have to have tight ends that can, you know, run the seams down the middle and can advance the ball after they catch it. And you have to have, you know, wide receivers that the defense just has to respect in ways in which, you know, they've got to, you know, um, shade them or, help out with them or whatever. And if you've got those two guys wide enough and you've got two tight ends that can, you know, run the middle and all that, you know, in effect, you kind of, you know, get the same look without having, you know, totally, uh, you know, sell out in that direction. You still have the benefit of, you know, having a really, you know, a tailback that can really, uh, you know, pound the ball and all of that. So, uh, so I think, You'll see some of that, but maybe not, you know, the same terminology. But if the effect is the same, uh, I think it's got more, it's got potential to be more effective than a spread. Uh, uh, the way USC 
may be looking to do it. And then one last one, Dan, uh, before we let you go. Dave and San Clemente, how do the three running backs uh, fit into the passing game in terms of their receiving ability and effectiveness in pass protection? Well, I mean, I think uh, uh, Curtis clearly got better uh, uh, last year as they went on, even though he's got that, you know, truly low, 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 low base and, and all of that. I think, you know, I think the thing with USC is you may not be out there if you're not uh, if you're not able to really pick up uh, you know the blocking uh, uh, calls and and all of that. I mean, I think you know we've seen an awful lot of guys over the years who just haven't made it in as much as they should have to carry the ball because they haven't you know been able to you know to pick up the blocking. So my thought is that whoever is out there will probably be pretty solid on the blocking. And when you talk to kids now. They really seem to believe that, you know, getting the playbook down, understanding the playbook. I mean, we were talking to Soma Manuka the other day, and he just, you know, couldn't say enough about his first responsibility is getting the playbook down and getting the blocking down and being able to adjust to every single and being on the same same wavelength with the quarterback. And I think you really hear a lot of people talking about that in terms of they know how absolutely um, – you know, valuable, you know, Matt Barkley is and how much more uh, effective the passing attack is when he is not touched like last year where he was pretty much untouched much of the year. And and the ability of, of Matt Barkley, if, if, knowing he's going to be, you know, fairly able to, you know, get the ball to whoever he wants to get it to is going to do that. And so uh, I think there's a, there's kind of a sense of on this team how important that is if you're the – Say the lone back, for example, for sure. Uh, how important it is to to be able to you know really understand what your blocking assignments are, and to be able to make sure you see the uh, defense exactly the way the quarterback sees it, and that where uh, you know if this happens or that happens, what you what your uh, assignment is going to be to you know to, to block. And so uh, I think you know. I mean, it's a challenge. If you've been a tailback all your life and, and mostly thinking about nothing, you know, but, but running the football, and then all of a sudden, you know, here you're in there and, and uh, you know, the play changes or the defense changes and you're, you know, you're picking up some, you know, looping linebacker or whatever, uh, you know, to protect Mac Barkley's back, you know, in a blind side. Uh, I think it's pretty uh, apparent that they really think about it, uh, I, I'm going to go through the spring and we'll watch more of that to really get a sense of, in terms of, you know, is that somewhere that one guy has way more, uh, you know, ability to do that than, than another guy. I don't think it's that clear right now that there's a, there's a big difference, uh, you know, among any of the, uh, among any of the running backs right now. All right, Dan. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing some insights. And again, so I apologize for doing the show a little bit late today. I had a golf appointment earlier. <laughs> so I wanted to go. And it rained. And it rained. I played a few holes in the rain, but it was fun. I had a good time. Okay. Uh, well, Dan, thanks again for coming on, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, Ryan. See ya. Bye-bye. All right. And everyone else, back in 30 seconds with Gerard Martinez. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. 
We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, national recruiting analyst on the line with us. Gerard, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm just uh, on the other side of junior day, which was on the other side of signing day, which was on the other side of a very long recruiting year. So, uh USC, man, glutton for punishment as far as uh, the <laughs> recruiting process and back-to-back-to-back kind of events, but uh, they got it over with. It was a big day, had over 100 uh, top athletes from around the region and uh, got a couple offers, um, no commitments, but uh, definitely, you know, I think trying to get ahead of the curve with the 2013 class. Well, you mentioned uh, Junior Day, and, you know, we're only a couple weeks removed from signing day, but we have an interesting question from Melvin that probably is going to help a lot of people. It's pretty basic. What is junior day? Are the coaches allowed to recruit? Are other NCAA coaches allowed to be on campus to talk with high school kids? Is ju- If junior day is a big recruiting tool, why aren't other schools doing the same thing and thus flood the market, so to speak, with these junior days? I ask, pro- I ask because I see so much publicity attributed to junior day, but I don't even know what it is. Yeah, Junior Day is something that every school has. Some schools have multiple Junior Days, uh, which are smaller events, but you're only allowed technically per NCAA rules to have one Junior Day, which is one event where you welcome recruits on their on your campus, but you actually are allowed to feed them uh, one meal, which is lunch, and everything else is pretty much paid for by the recruits, and they are allowed to recruit the recruits. You have all the coaches on staff uh, at the campus, and, um, you know, they basically come in, they get uh, a presentation, a video of sorts, you know, talking about the program and the school, and uh, usually you'll have the AD speak, um, you'll have various professors from various departments speak, and then the kids go around and they take a tour of the campus. After that, they're broken up into positions, and they go in and they have film, uh, with their position coaches, and then pretty much afterwards, the kids that are the more elite kids uh, will have kind of personal one-on-one conversations with uh, those position coaches, and um, if they're the creme de la creme, they'll go in and they'll talk with the head coach and uh, usually get a scholarship offer after junior day. So it is actually something that every school does, and they the market is flooded with junior days. You just can't do it multiply. Uh, a big day like USC did um, where you're going to have 100 kids in plus. Um, it's usually if you're going to have multiple junior days, you have a bunch of little small events. Uh, UCLA with Rick Neuheisel was notorious for having guerrilla-style junior days where they'd have you know, 10, 12 kids come in at a time and then they'd go to the basketball game and, and they'd hang out with the, the coaches and they'd do it um, a, a little smaller, a little more intimately. It kind it kind of you know it's it, there's positives to that and then there's negatives to that you know having a big event sometimes it makes it kind of a bigger deal for the kids so you know every school does it differently USC's done it differently USC's had you know a couple different junior days sometimes and then other times they've had big junior days you know the most probably prolific 
notorious junior day was when uh, back in 2005 um, when they had uh, you know the junior day uh, coinciding with all of those juniors that were graduating from USC. Uh, Reggie Bush and, and Matt Leiner, and they had a huge pro day at the same time as they had the junior day, and that was like, that was crazy. I mean, you had uh, hundreds, thousands of people over uh, on Cromwell Field watching the the pro day events go on, and then you had, I don't know how many kids and parents there on campus for the junior day, so it was, it was madness. Um, but yeah, it's something that's uh, very common. It's been going on for quite a while, and every school does it. Okay, uh, so that was Melvin's question on junior days. One of the other things that happened, Gerard, we talked with Dan Weber about this in the last segment, is that Lane Kiffin announced the hiring of uh, Marvin Sanders as the DB coach and Scotty Hazleton as a linebacker coach, basically to the juniors. And uh, Greg and the OC wanted to know um, about those two uh, coaches that were hired. Did they work? any specific regions of the country as far as recruiting and what are their recruiting resumes like? You know, it's a good question. I, I really don't know. I'm not really familiar with them. Obviously, Scotty Hazleton being at North Dakota State, that's going to be a, a, probably a big jump for him in terms of going to USC and handling the recruiting process and how USC recruits. You're going to recruit at North Dakota State. You're not going to do it like USC does it. And, and you're probably not going to be doing it in the region like USC does it. Uh, he could have had the California region, and it's still not going to be anything like what you're going to do at USC in, in terms of the intensity of it and the high-profile kids that you're going to be looking at. So this is, you know, I think more than even coaching, that's going to be the big transition for him. Uh, with Marvin Sanders, he's been a part of that and a major program. Um, I know he was supposed to coach at Florida Atlantic uh, this year, and that was kind of his plan. So he may have some connections down there in Florida. I, I don't know. Uh, Nebraska, you know, they have some guys that recruit California. They have some guys that recruit Texas. But, you know, even with Ted Gilmore, when he came to USC, you know, his, his region basically ended up being the Midwest, and it ended up being kind of the Northeast. And so I think with, you know, Saunders and with Hazleton, both of those guys are probably going to pick up regions that have been left behind by the coaches that departed. So you're going to have Joe Barry, who had the Northwest, and he had Arizona. Uh, he also had San Diego um, and other little niche parts of the country, depending on what linebackers were there. So Hazleton may just pick up those regions. And with Gilmore, he had, like I said, the Midwest and the Northeast that may end up being what Saunders takes up. So you also have to compare it with who you have on your staff now and the relationships and the connections that they have and the regions that they've been recruiting the past, you know, two going on three years now. Okay. Um, let's see. JD in DC, he loves to write in. He wanted to know what was your assessment of the various kids who received offers after junior day this week? Uh, the assessment was kind of what, we had uh, forewarned a bit in the war room and in the preview that we had that USC's not big on making junior days big right now. Um, it's early in the process, obviously limited with scholarships. They don't want to go out there and just flood a bunch of kids with offers this early and have a bunch of commits. And in a junior day, when you've got all these kids in person, you, you, you can't fade a little more with kids coming in and committing. You know, you can sometimes throw some offers out of state and give some verbal offers and talk to talk and really get kids interested in your program thinking that, hey, this, this team is very serious about me. But when those kids are farther away, there's less chance that they're going to commit. And we talked a little bit about that last week. I think with junior day, you have those kids in your midst, 
you really want to have the kids that you really, really like and are really, really confident about, those are the guys that you're going to sit down with and, and give them, you know, verbal scholarship offers. And I think, you know, Max Brown, you know, it looks like he's going to be one of the best uh, re- quarterback recruits in the nation. He was going to be definitely one of the top quarterbacks in this region. So him coming all the way down from Washington, you expected he would probably get a scholarship offer just for his trouble. If he came down and didn't get a scholarship offer, it might have ended up pretty much taking USC out of the running for him. He might have felt like he was insulted. And some kids that don't get offers, that have offers from all these other schools, come away a little bitter from that process. And there was a few kids who didn't get offers that, you know, you kind of wonder, okay, is that going to really set USC back in the process with them? Um, you know, I think uh, the one offer that was clear as day that, that was coming, you know, I think from last week just kind of talking to the kid and, and knowing where USC in terms of their needs and what they need to sign is that it's Justin Davis, a 6'1", 200-pound running back from Stockton, Lincoln High School, four-star, uh, a kid that's just that big body running back. He's got good speed. He's got good hands. He, he kind of reminds me a little of a Deshaun Foster type. I know that's a Bruin, and USC fans don't want to hear that, but he was still a great player, and I think he kind of reminds me his running style and his body size, just a little bit of a Deshaun Foster. He's a big back, but he's not a Lindell White big back. He's not just a, a big kind of huge kid that, that has kind of a lot of this um, roundness and bulk to him. He's really more of a, a big athletic back, and, and he's got pretty good height for him. Uh, for running back. I mean, he's listed as 6'1". He's legitimately 6'1". It's not he's 6'1", and he's 5'11", which is what you get a lot of times. He's legitimately 6'1", probably going on 6'2", at this point. So he's got good good height to him, and he's really a pro-style back that USC really, quite frankly, I think if they would have had him in the last class, they probably would have offered him and signed him in the last class. So it was pretty much a no-brainer, that, that uh, scholarship offer. Um, one that was a tad surprising was the scholarship offer to Johnny Johnson, uh, the quarterback, he's about 5'10", 175 pounds out of Fresno. Um, you know, it looks like USC wants to take about five defensive backs in this class, and he's probably the best corner that we have seen in person for sure. But, you know, with the height, you just kind of wonder if they would wait for times. You know, they waited a while for Kevon Seymour, and Kevon Seymour, I think, was a little more of a sure bet in terms of, you know, being a guy that had the height and had the speed and kind of had everything lined up for him. But they wanted to wait to see what his actual track times were before they offered him. And with Johnny Johnson, I kind of thought maybe that might be the same case, but they didn't. They went ahead and they pulled the trigger on him. Um, so that was, you know, a big-time offer that went out. Um, so, you know, I mean, USC, with the scholarship offers, there weren't a lot of them that were given out. You know, they were kind of few and far between. I think one of the other guys that I anticipated that might get an offer, that didn't get an offer, was Tahan Goodman, uh, the safety out of Ranch Cucamonga, who, you know, we saw just this past weekend at the B2G workout, looks like definitely one of the top safeties um, in this class. And, and he's a great-looking athlete. I would put him right up there with, uh, you know, those kind of elite guys, Max Redfield and, and Sue Cravens, who USC's kind of recruiting as a safety slash outside linebacker right now. It kind of depends on how he grows. Uh, but that would have probably been the only guy that I would have said, yeah, you know, I could see them, you know, definitely offering him. They, they didn't offer a lot of other guys, but – you know, with limited scholarships, once again, you kind of saw some of that coming, that they would be very, very cautious and very conservative with those offers. All right. Uh, let's see. We wanted, we had a question on Gerald Bowman about an update with his status. Uh, is he enrolled? What's going on with Gerald Bowman? Gerald Bowman is not enrolled. He will not be enrolled until June. Okay. So there's no, uh, 
we knew that he didn't get in early. We've seen him on campus uh, at some of these off-season workouts, but he's not at USC. He's still taking some classes, and he will be until the summer. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, he's going to be – he won't even be in for the early uh, summer bridge program, which is kind of the first, first – summer school program he's he's gonna come in later with the high school kids so he'll be in there late june okay so that's up with uh gerald bowman we've got a few more what happened to shantez jackson the defensive end haven't heard much about him thought it'd be an, another local defensive end product that usc would be recruiting shantez is just you know he's got some work to do and and uh you know he's, he's just gotta become a little more focused um i think with his grades and, and just being on the field he's you know, got really a lot of athleticism. He's one of those kids you look at and you go, wow. I mean, I think there's going to be schools that offer him just by looking at him because he's really a great-looking prospect. Uh, but he's got to, he's got to, you know, I, I think kind of display a little more passion, uh, like I said, more focus, not just, uh, you know, on the field but off the field. So he's a guy that's uh, kind of lower on the radar, I think, right now for USC. And, and I think most schools just want to kind of see a little more from him during the spring and over the summer, and he's going to have to go to some camps and, and show some consistency. All right. Uh, with no offer coming for Fitz or Vander does, do you think the coaches fill these positions with kids from the South? Is it just a better selection there? I think they would like to. Some of the first scholarship offers that have gone out have gone out to kids in the South. Now, again, I've explained that a few times that, you know, those kids in the South right now that, that may not really know a whole lot about SC, the chances of them turning around and committing is pretty pretty low. So USC is really just trying to get their foot in the door with those offers and, and make an impression on those kids. And you kind of have to go through the process a little bit to see who's really legitimately interested and who's just got an offer from USC. And basically kind of like that's just one more school among many schools that have offered them scholarships at this point. Um, so, I mean, I think you know, when it comes to defensive linemen, you're always going to have a great selection when you go down to the South. Now, does that mean that there's no defensive lineman that they're going to offer in California? I think with Kylie Fitz specifically, I think he's a guy that, you know, because he got hurt his sophomore year and didn't play a lot, I think they just need a little more time to see how he's developed, to see if uh, he's the real deal. He's a little bit of a tweener. He's a guy that could play strong side defensive end, but he could also maybe chip him down and he could maybe grow into being a defensive tackle. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily that USC's not going to offer him in the future. I think that's the one thing about the junior day, which fans have to understand just as much as the kids have to understand. It's February. And there's a long, long ways to go uh, in terms of the recruiting process for 2013. And I think it's been a whirlwind. I mean, we have not seen, I think, this back-to-back in a while. USC has had some earlier junior days in the past, but I think it's come off of years where they've recruited the previous class, and that class has been a lot more settled going into signing day. This past year, so much was on signing day that everybody's just kind of trying to grab their breath from signing day, and then, bam, there's a junior day, and the Rivals 100's already out. The Rivals 250's already out. It's just kind of like we've rolled into this 2013 class, you know, with, with, <laughs> with, with, with you know, hitting the ground running kind of thing. And so I think everybody needs to take a step back and realize just because a lot of these guys didn't get offers – doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to get offers. I think Kyler Fitz is definitely going to be uh, a highly recruited player by all the Pac-10 schools, I think including USC. Um, I think JoJo Math is another guy that, you know, that there's some more evaluation that has to be 
done with some of these players. And I don't mean that just on the field, but I mean that off the field as well. Got to make sure these kids are going to be good in the classroom. Got to make sure that, you know, they, they're, they're not going to get in trouble, that they stay focused. There's just a lot of things going on in this early in the process when you've got one in-person meeting, maybe two in-person meetings with a kid, which sometimes, you know, that amounts to about, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes of actually sitting down and talking to a player and getting to know his parents. There's a long ways to go before you really feel confident and you've only got 15 rides that you can actually give out. 18 with the early enrollees, but as we said, you know, that's probably going to be a quarterback or two depending on how that position plays out in the future on the roster right now for USC. All right, we got two more. Uh, does it hurt USC that Michael Hutchings wasn't there at the junior day, or is he just waiting for that linebacker coaching position to be filled, which was announced at the junior day? I don't think it hurts them. I think that they're in a pretty good place with Michael Hutchings. I think that if he's able to come down and get more one-on-one time with the coaching staff, it's actually a good thing. So if this was a trip that would have replaced him coming down during spring ball or for a spring game and being able to talk with the coaching staff, then no. If he comes down twice and he was able to come to junior day and then turn around and come down again later in the spring, well, then obviously, you know, the more the merrier as far as getting that one-on-one time with the coaches and and being able to get to know people. But I think, you know, he's going to have to get to know Scott Hazleton. He's going to have to build a rapport with him. Again, we're going to see how that works out. This was a hire that was done because of coaching more than recruiting. I don't think, you know, you're going to be at North Dakota and necessarily have any kind of rep of being this, you know, (laughs) great recruiter. You know, he's going to have to step up and and we're going to have to see how he relates to kids and kind of see just how his personality kind of vibes with kids. You know, Joe Barry had a great personality and he was relentless, but he still wasn't necessarily a Ken Norton Jr. who as a recruiter would come in and just had a a presence about him. And obviously being a guy that had played in Super Bowls and and was an old pro and, and just had that name and had, as I said, that presence about him. Big guy. I mean, you, you see Ken Norton and, you know that's Ken Norton Jr. It's kind of like Ed Ergeron. And so you have a few of those coaches around, you know, the, the, the country that from the recruiting process standpoint, it's it's just such a sell for the university. You know, Joe Barry was definitely a guy that was just a hard worker. And he didn't necessarily have that name recognition, but I think he worked even harder because he didn't have that. We're going to have to see what Scotty Hazleton has. He's probably going to have to kind of follow the same – kind of the same road and path as a recruiter that Joe Barry did because obviously he's not, you know, the big-time NFL guy or the former player that everybody knows from watching on TV. So we'll see, you know, how it goes. But some of these guys, you know, they're able to have that presence and they just have something about them and, and kids like it. And, and sometimes it's just the quirkiness, you know. It's, it's you know, like Ed Ergeron has is, is definitely got a presence about him because he's, you know, from the South and I think in the Pac-12 that really stands out. That guy coming into your, to your living room and, and sitting down and just the way he talks and the way he comes across, it's just very unique. And so, you know, we're going to have to see about Scotty Hazleton if he's got that uniqueness and if he can relate to a guy like uh, Michael Hutchins. So, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. I think the first indication really starts to come from the players that are on the team already and how kind of their response to him and, and how much outward uh, affection they start to show for their coach. You're already seeing a little bit from the coaches uh, or from the, excuse me, from the players on the team about 
Marvin Sanders that you know I guess he had a a meeting uh, Monday with the coach or excuse me yeah Monday with the uh, with the with the players on the team the defensive backs and you know there's a couple of players that were tweeting just about him and and just how excited they were and how great of a meeting it was so that's a good indication that well this is a guy that seems to be able to bring himself you know across to his players in a way that's intense and and you know they're going to get excited about it and usually that can translate to the recruiting process as well. All right, last one. It's Jeff. He wants to know, is Max Redfield this year's Aguilar slash banner in the sense that he is not shy about saying USC is on top of his list and overall just getting a sense that he is an SC kind of guy? That's a tough question, only because I always looked at Zach and Nelson in the sense that they were out-of-state recruits that were guys that would end up being USC guys. And, and even though they were not in SC regions, quote unquote, they were guys that just seemed like they had the personality that would fit in at USC. Max is in South Orange County. So, you know, he's, he's with a lot of people that would fit in at USC. Um, so I, I don't know if I kind of look at him like that. I think you have to kind of go through the process with, with, with Max. And I think, you know, there's, a good chance he ends up at USC, but I think people need to stay away from putting the lock tag on him just because he went to Mission Viejo and just because, you know, he's been teammates with Jalil Pinner and, and Trey, uh, Trey Madden. You know, if he was like Jalil Pinner and Trey Madden, he'd be committed already because both those guys committed on the spot when they got offered. So the fact that he hasn't necessarily followed in that path means that he's probably going to play the process a little differently. He's seen USC, seen a lot of USC. He likes USC, but we have to kind of see – where he stands with USC after he sees other programs as well. So, you know, Oregon and uh, Notre Dame is another school that he says, you know, is kind of in his top three right now. Washington's going to be on him. UCLA is going to be on him. I think, you know, some of those other programs are probably going to have a better shot at him than others. Um, Notre Dame will be an interesting school just to see, you know, how he fits in with going away from home and, and kind of that process of traveling and, you know, sometimes Notre Dame, if they could get a kid in real early in the spring, they seem to make a real good impression. Those kids that make those junior day spring ball visits seem to really like Notre Dame, uh, you know, early in the process, and they have a lot of success recruiting early. So we'll see, you know, if he's able to make one of those trips. He probably isn't only because he's got track and he's got basketball and he's going to be pretty crowded with that on top of trying to do some seven-on-seven stuff. The cool thing about Max Redfield uh, that USC fans got to be excited about is his openness with playing with some of these other top players and safeties, you know, namely Sewell Cravens. And that's what USC is going to have to find. They're going to have to find some guys that want to kind of play together because this is a really good safety group. If they're going to bring in five, it could end up being three safeties. It could end up being two safeties, but we know it's not going to be just one safety. So they're going to have to be able to kind of double up on a position and be able to get two guys that want to play together and, and really, you know, are not scared of each other necessarily. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff as always. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, we're not going to do a, a recruiting blast tomorrow. We're going to give you a, a day off. So we just did a small, short one with the regular Peristyle podcast. So maybe we'll bring the recruiting blast back next week or so. But right now, we'll just, we're will just we going to skip that one just to let people know. Okay. That's uh, shedding a tear for that. But good if that's the call, then that's the call. Good news for you. I just right. work here, Ryan. I, know. I, just, I just do what you tell me to do. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Gerard. appreciate you coming on. All right, man. Thank you. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back again next week with more USC Trojan and USC football recruiting talk. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.